This is the Gambling Gauchos. Hello, beautiful people. I messed up this episode and killed the first 10 minutes of it. If you want to listen to the first 10 minutes of this episode, go to youtube.com slash gambling gauchos, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and watch the first 10 minutes of this episode on YouTube. Otherwise, I'm Rob Bro, he's Kyle Jacobson, and Ryan Money Mainville, who gives you a getting to know the gauchos before giving an eloquent answer on whatever he's about to cut to in the middle of this episode. So we killed 10 minutes, but it's going to be on YouTube and everyone's going to be okay. And we all still love each other. And you guys are amazing. Keep sharing your Spotify raps. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, go to YouTube for the first 10 minutes of this wonderful episode. We are here in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. We love Cardinals. We love you. Enjoy. You lose it, um, but you just didn't really feel very good uh, after that game. Um, you know, you came away with a win. That's what you needed to do. But I think we, we learned a lot about that Texas Tech basketball team, and that's going to be an interesting thing to monitor over the next 30 days before Big 12 play begins is, hey, what do you learn from this? Because you've got a couple of games ahead of you where you should not be getting challenged. And so you're going to have an opportunity to prove that you can put yourself in the lead and then maintain that. And with Texas Tech's depth, that's looking like a little bit of a struggle right now. But we'll see if that trend continues because they've got just a couple of weeks to get it figured out before it's right into the grunt of a Big 12 play. Obviously, it wasn't the exact same as the Louisiana Tech game because you didn't give up an 18-0 run in that one. But same deal that like you were – on pace to cover and even had the spread covered, you know, well before the clock hit all zeros and then kind of relinquished the lead. So I guess I do have concerns and it is depth related about being able to put away a game after 25, 30, 35 minutes. And um, we can get into this, but the the depth piece and the, the minutes across the board are really confusing to me. I, I guess what they're doing is um, – just kind of like picking a different guy off the bench every night and saying like, okay, you're, you're only going to get two minutes or four minutes and we're going to give somebody else 18 off the bench. And like early, it looked like Kerwin Walton was your sixth man and he hasn't gotten very minutes lately. And then in Maui, they kind of like handpicked Lamar Washington one game and he led the bench in minutes. And then they like KJ's gotten a lot of minutes, but he played the fewest last night. And so I'm really trying to make heads or tails of who's number six, seven, eight on this roster because right now that's extremely unclear to me. And I think if you are going to pull away from teams or hold a lead against really good Big 12 teams once you get to conference play, you need something there. Like for after your starters have put in 26 or 30 or 34 minutes, there needs to be some kind of production behind them in order to, to win a game after all 40 minutes. So that is clearly something that's missing right now and still needs to sort itself out. And I'm curious to see what direction that goes. I, I- after last night, I have two big questions uh, because the bench hasn't been good across the losses. And then last night, your bench was not productive. Um, so who's going to step up off the bench is a big one. And, and I think once Fardaz returns, is it O'Banner's your sixth man? You can take Bacho off the floor. Um, and, and then beyond that, who is the leader? Who's, who's this year's Keenan Evans? Who's this year's 
Ochai Ogbaji, because at times it's it's Herman, Harmon, Herman Harmon. At times it's Davian Harmon, and he he certainly took over last night. But there was another guy who stopped the run and who was urging guys to play harder, who had the body language of a champion and was directing traffic without the ball in his hands, which you do not see often in this offense, or you have not seen often. The only problem is, and I don't think it's a problem, but he's a true freshman. It's Pop Isaacs. Is he the leader of this team, and can the team rally behind a true freshman? I think the thing with Pop is that even if he isn't the verbal leader for this team, I think he just sees the game at a level that's different than a lot of other guys in college basketball. Like, it's not even specifically about this team, but this is what, like, we've been promised he is as a recruit, is a guy that sees the floor really well. He knows how to run, get it done. But with him, I think, you know, you've got to learn through those freshman mistakes. you got to be able to keep yourself in the game. Um, you got to be able to cut down on turnovers. And so even if it's not necessarily a verbal leadership for Pop Isaacs or one that takes place directly on the court, I think he's got a really good chance to just serve as a director for this team almost and just kind of get them back into it. And I think the thing with him too is for how talented he is and how highly recruited he is, he's a humble guy. And you see him walking over to the sidelines and he makes a bad pass. He's slapping his chest, you know, anytime he walks to the bench, Mark is usually grabbing him, giving him a talking to. They usually say like last night he pulled him aside sometime in the second half. I think it was when they were trying to overcome that deficit. Mark kind of grabbed him by the jersey and was talking to him. You could like read his lips and he was like, what was that? And Pop was like kind of explaining, hey, I saw this guy go in here, made a bad pass, shouldn't have done it, my bad. And I think that's really healthy for this team is just having that short memory because you're young and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I think that if you lean into Pop Isaacs and let him learn through those mistakes, it's going to be really good for you. But I do think it, it, it kind of does have to be Harmon just by the nature of leadership. He's been, you know the second best player offensively and defensively for this team so far in terms of a BPN uh, metric. So I think he's got to step up. And then the thing with O'Banner that's confusing too is, hey, you know, you look at what's happening with Fardaz Amac and hey, Amac's going to get back into the fold at some point. Who do you throw on the bench? Well, the offense this year has been at its best when Kevin O'Banner is on the floor, but the defense has been at its worst when Kevin O'Banner is on the floor. And so you're kind of left thinking like, hey, what can I sacrifice? Is it offense or defense? And usually the very easy choice for Texas Tech is, hey, we sacrifice defense because we've got enough guys around him that can do the job. But that's not really the story of this team. You you kind of need that edge. And so I'm interested just to kind of see how his role continues to evolve because as important as he is offensively in terms of a box score metric, he's not really making shots right now. And his defense has not been good. And so just really interested to see kind of what the next couple of weeks teach us about this team, because things are going to get real uh, pretty quickly here. And there, there's going to need to be somebody that steps up or else you're, you're going to find yourself losing quite a few more games than I think you would hope to. Three things. Agree that Devion Harmon is the leader of this team. He's the most experienced 
Um, well, I guess O'Banner, he's older, but Davion Harmon's in year four of being a, a starting point guard at a power six program. And you can see it. He's the, he's the energetic, emotional leader. Like he even gets the crowd into it sometimes, uh, which I think is great to see. Number two, I'm glad that Pop Isaacs was not rendered unplayable by the coaching staff after game two or game three because he has already settled in quite a bit versus the first impressions we saw of him. And you, you can only imagine like what his ceiling, what his potential is if he can keep making strides like this. He's not afraid to take shots. Uh, he usually makes them. And, yeah, there's some bad turnovers. There's probably some bad decisions that go along with that. But, yeah, I just keep going back to it's his first year of college. He didn't even get to practice most of the summer because he had the hip surgery. And you know, he's talked about how much more comfortable he already is, you know, after game five, six, seven. Um, what was number three there? I feel like Rick Perry. Oh, Rob, back in the offseason, you asked me if there was like one player who I could pick to make a big impact or like who could make the biggest impact. I gave you a surprising answer. Do you remember who I said? I said Robert Jennings and your eyebrows raised. And I said, because he's the one who probably has the least expected of him coming in. Yeah. And so if he does come in and can give you 16 or 20 minutes as a true freshman, then that would be huge. And I don't know if he's there yet, but games one, game two is when I kind of started the John Rothstein tweets about him and just started saying Robert Jennings, grown ass man. Cause like he's pulling down boards in traffic, going right back up scoring, and last night, I didn't know he was capable of this. He threw a dime bounce pass to Kevin O'Banner, ending in a reverse slam dunk. And so he, he's just flashed. You know, he hasn't gotten a ton of minutes. He's not stringing together like full games doing that. But he's another guy I get excited about the about the potential. And I don't know if it'll be this year. Um, but I, I thought it was ballsy of Pop Isaacs to be the one to end the 18-0 run. And then shortly after that, um, he hit that pick and roll pass to Bacho, kind of a lob over the top. Bacho dunks it, and then the entire momentum of, of the game is completely changed from that moment on. Certainly want to get into the pick and roll stuff. Uh, I know Money has a, a video coming on that, I believe. Spoiler alert. Um, uh, if this offense is going to get any better, they they have to start working sets in and getting some some shots selected you know, prior to the play and, and go out and work some, work some plays. Cause I, I don't know if it just doesn't seem like it's come together yet. Uh, totally agree on Robert Jennings. I think he's been the second best freshman on the team. Um, Lamar Washington, as you said, flashed, but I think Robert Jennings can give you some solid minutes and he looks, he looks like a big 12 basketball player as a true freshman, which doesn't always happen. Um, he looks like a grown ass man. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Pop Isaacs oh, is going to hey, be. Go ahead. Uh, one more thing on Jennings. I didn't know this, but uh, Jeff Haxton on 97.3 had done like a, a pre recorded interview with him before the game and was just kind of asking him about his basketball journey. And he was like, Yeah, you know, I started playing in elementary school or whatever, but I kind of gave it up for a while. And he didn't start playing until his junior year of high school, is what he told Haxton. And so any true freshman is going to be kind of raw but him even more so. And so I think there's potential for him to sort of hit a launching pad, unlike some of these guys that are on the AAU circuit from seventh grade on. And, you know, they've been playing 200 basketball games a year for the past five years. He's not really 
he's not really in this in that same category. And so, again, I don't know if it'll be this season or next, but I think he's just got a ton of potential for when that starts to come together for him. Really excited for Robert Jennings. And we keep talking about, you know, oh, if this core can stay together. Um, it needs to happen this year because that's just college basketball. And that's Texas Tech basketball. Because uh, even though you have five freshmen, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have five sophomores next year. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you have five sophomores after the semester break. That's uh, just kind of how college basketball is gone. That's how Texas Tech basketball is gone. Joel Tomboy did not make it the whole season. Sarah Calhoun did not make it the whole season. Who knows, Curran Walton, a- after not playing much and not hitting a bunch of shots, might not be here the whole year. So you're going to have to figure out the bench. And if teams get in a zone against you and your bench is on the floor, Curran Curlin Walton and Damarian Williams have to shoot you out of it. That's why they're here. They have to shoot shots and make shots. Um, you did it early. You shot out of it in the first half. You could not shoot out of the zone in the second half. Um, we're going into year two of this team. Well, really year seven of this team being baffled by the zone. How do you fix that, Ryan? How do you fix that? Because it seems like they should be able to get the ball into the hands of a playmaker in the middle of the floor. I mean, it sounds really simple, but, but that really is what you're taught from when you start playing basketball as, as a kid in elementary school is, get the ball into the middle of the floor near the free throw line and force the defense to collapse on top of you. And that's really how you stretch that defense. Now, a problem with this team is that you're not getting shooting from off ball guys, which is a really unique situation for Texas tech to be in. Cause usually it's been the case that, Hey, you've got these really dominant ball handlers, guys like Mac McClung, Kyler Edwards, but sometimes the three ball isn't always there. Well, this year, you've got guys like Harmon, who's shooting pretty well. Isaacs is shooting really well. And then you've got Kerwin Walton, who's 3 of 16 from 3 this year. And and that just can't happen. I think what I saw from that Georgetown game that was really, really encouraging was Jalen Tyson stepping up and making big shots because he he's really going to be at the center of this, of being a guy who can knock down off-ball shots but can also put the ball down on the floor and then go get you a bucket. And so I think the the zone is bad um, for Texas Tech's offense for whatever reason. Um, but maybe this year, more than any other, they have the personnel to break it because they have so many guys that can make plays. They have just got to make shots and they have got to stretch that defense. And I think we saw some of that last night with getting the ball inside to Bacho, especially on the pick and rolls. And I think the other thing that has to follow that is making shots or else you're going to be, you're going to get stuck. And the reality is big 12 teams are not going to run uh, zone defense for a majority of the game, just because this conference wants to live in man to man. But I mean, we've seen it time and time again throughout the last couple of seasons that when Texas Tech is in a close game and their offense starts to get some momentum, all of a sudden they get a zone thrown at them and the other team goes on an 8-0 run. With this bench, that 8-0 run could very easily lose you the game. And so I think it's just one more thing that you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out how to break that. And you've got to have a guy on the court at all times who you can put the ball in his hands and just trust to make good things happen for your offense. Is that Harmon? 
it, it's got to be Harmon or Isaacs. I think, I think Tyson is a good candidate too, just because of his shooting ability, but you really want the ball in the, in the hands of your best playmaker. And I think right now that's either Harmon or Isaacs. How real is Bacho's three ball? I don't think it's real enough for them to consistently play five out. Dang it. He's but not, I'm in, I'm intrigued. hundred percent. He, he yeah. took, he took one last year and it almost went and I was like the roof was going to come off this place if he made that but it like it was a good shot he just didn't make it. So it looked pretty pure uh last night and so it gets my mind going like okay if Amac comes back and he's the sixth man he shot 39% last year like is is Davion Harmon at 35% your worst three point shooter you know on the floor if Bacho can hit that shot and he, he, you know he's not going to shoot it at volume and he's probably only going to shoot it at the top of the key if he's open but like if he can make that specific shot 38, 39% of the time, then I kind of get excited. I'm like, yeah, play zone with us. Like, fine. We'll, we have five dudes on the floor that can shoot the three. But I don't know if that's actually in his repertoire yet. It's, a, it's such a small sample size. It, he's 50% in his career at Texas Tech. Can, can he do that, you know, on 300 attempts? <laughs> if so, he might be the greatest basketball player of all time. But. Yeah, and I think – one note on this is that we we're talking about the pick and roll. This really forces the defense into a complicated situation where you've got a guy who's shown that you can't just fall off the screen and play drop coverage against him or else he's going to make the bucket. So, you know, he may not be a high volume shooter. I, I don't think he is. I don't think that he'll consistently shoot the three at a high clip during his college career, but if it's respectable, if it's respectable, that's really all you need from him is to just force the defense to come out and play him on the perimeter because we've seen that he can put the ball on the court and beat people like he's a guard. It's insane. Yeah. And so I think that just gives you another dimension of your offense is being able to put him on the perimeter and not get beat, but to trust him to either make a shot or make a play. So I'm, I'm excited to see your pick and roll video. And I couldn't remember if the Bacho three ball was on a like a pick and pop. Um, but I hope that clip makes it because, um, like I said, if he only wants to take that shot at the top of the key when he's open, that's the only – like we don't need contested ones from the corner from Bacho. Um, but if folks do want to watch that, it should be hitting the airwaves soon, youtube.com slash at Gambling Gauchos. I think is how they can find the YouTube channel. Uh, Ryan is putting out a lot of great content there, football and basketball. And so I uh, hope you all will drop us a subscription. And we also release all of our full episodes on YouTube now, so you can watch there if you want. Do they have uh, Smell-O-Vision on YouTube yet? I don't know what that is. Well, it's when you can smell what's on the screen. Because if we brought some, like, Rohinio barbecue in here, <laughs> I think that Smell-O-Vision would really get people enticed. That, that would be a new way to promote them as a sponsor, for sure. I think it'd be an enticing one. Uh, if you are in Lubbock for the holidays... Make the short trip out to Alton and no free ads, but they do have a little family run store right beside them that you might can get some uh, holiday shopping in. So make it a twofer, go down there, get you some burn ins, some green chili cream corn and uh, make it an afternoon there in Alton. Go take a picture down the road with the uh, wall painted in a big Dr. Pepper bottle. You, you know Texas. what they call that move, Rob, when you go to Regino and then uh, also pop into the boutique to do some Christmas shopping for the wife? A day trip? They call that pulling a Kyle Jacobson because that's what I did like two weekends ago. 
I got there at like 10.55 right before they opened. I was like, oh, well, yeah. surely they've got something Pop for the in wife there. in there. And they did. Very nice. Um, so, yeah, at Rahino BBQ on socials. You can order ahead, RahinoBBQ.com. And I don't know about you all. I had ham leftovers after Thanksgiving for like four days in a row. Yeah. I do not want ham at Christmas. I'm going to be lobbying for a Christmas brisket from Rahino. Get you the family platter. Yeah. It gets it's a bunch of meats in there. Comes in a hotel right. tray. Uh, we had a comment here, though. Uh, Ooh. from this guy, Mothaki. Uh, the cynic in me wonders if the portal is playing into time distribution. That's when we were discussing the bench and who's coming off the bench. I, I, I do think the portal is always an issue. It is in college basketball. But if you're running your team terrified of somebody transferring, it's probably not the best way to do it. You want the best five on the floor the best eight in rotation. I, I don't think you're really worried about keeping somebody in the loop. It, you want somebody bought in and, and here, in my opinion. Hey, Rob. Yeah. Do you have like an agenda for the show or can I, can I introduce a new topic for the Gauchos to discuss? Yeah. I mean, are we done with the, the pick and roll and the basketball? I think we've kind of exhausted Georgetown. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Let's I wanted to uh, zoom out and – talk about college basketball non-conference scheduling as a whole. Because I don't think we've really done that. And Twitter is maybe a bad platform for that. I, I sort of alluded to my thoughts on it before the Louisville game. And it wasn't well received by the Twitterverse. And so I just kind of want to talk about that because that this year's non-conference slate is not awesome. Part of that is out of your control because you get Georgetown assigned to you and they're dreadful. It's all in your control. Um, well, that specific game is not in your control. Sure, but you, you've set yourself up, and you do set yourself up for a three yeah. seed. Okay, so here's how I see it. Yeah. How, how many non-conference games are there? 15? 12? Between, 12 to 15, yes. Let's call it 12, just for the sake of argument. Um, two or three of those are going to be at a neutral site tournament. You've played those in Vegas, um, New York, Maui, of course, this year. There's all these invitationals and classics. You can get two or three games against a Power 6 opponent at a neutral site. That'll typically be a quad two game at worst. Now, this year sucks because you got Georgetown in the Big East Classic and you run into Louisville, the worst team in the ACC in Maui. And so those are both going to be quad three games, I'm, I'm pretty sure, unless something crazy happens. Um. Now, Creighton was a quad one game. Ohio State will, I guess, probably be quad one once net sort of settles in, the net rankings. Um, but you're probably going to finish the non-con slate, depending on LSU and the SEC game, with two, maybe three quad one games. And I don't know what it'll be, like nine-ish quad three plus quad four games. And... So when I alluded to this on Twitter about Louisville being a quad three game, people are like, oh, just win. You know, worry about that in March. Like, well, okay, you weren't paying attention last year because the top line of our resume, like we had five better wins than anybody in the country. Put our five best wins last regular season up against anybody else's, I'll, we win that battle. But games six through 25, let's call it, is where these teams that – you know, might have one win that would be among your top five wins pass you because they're not playing the little sisters of the poor eight times in the non-con. 
And so my suggestion is you stay in these, well, I guess the Big 12 SEC partnership is going away, but find something like that, just like you're doing with the Big East. Have a couple of those in the rotation. Play in one of these invitationals at a neutral site. And then it should not be too much to ask for you to have two games against Power 6 opponents in addition to that. One at home, one on the road. And then you tell them, y'all came to Lubbock this year. We'll go to your place next year. We're going to your place this year. Y'all come to Lubbock next year. It doesn't have to be Duke. It doesn't have to be Kentucky. It doesn't have to be Gonzaga. But, like, let's let's play Arizona State or, heck, Colorado, Nebraska. Somebody that is close-ish to you, because I know Lubbock is hard to get to from, like, Providence, let's say. But schedule somebody with a pulse that is at least going to be a quad two game instead of a quad four game. Because your ceiling and your resume is capped, and it matters when you're a three seed trying to be a two seed in San Antonio or Dallas. And it matters when you're a 10 seed and you're on the bubble. Uh, they, they look at that. And I think it's stupid that beating the number one team in the country on their home court counts the same as beating the number 75 team in the country on their home court. But that is how the committee looks at it. It's quad one, quad three, quad four. And that's like pretty much all they use. And so it matters. And I don't think that it's too much to ask to get two home and homes, one home, one away, and then you flip it the next year on the schedule. It's a little hard because you go one, you know, season by season to, to schedule. And if a team is really good one year and then awful the next, you kind of run into that. But there has to be a better mode than, you know, Southeastern Louisiana in the north and all those directional schools you play. What if that game was New Mexico State or UNLV or even one of those regional schools. I mean, the Mexico State tournament team last year, you capitalize that and say, hey, do you want to be back in the tournament? Come play at the USA. Beat yeah. you in a scrimmage preseason. Yeah, or even like, again, Rob, it's hard to predict because especially some of these mid-major conference champions that, you know, let's say they're a 12 seed, they win a tournament game. Okay, they look good. Well, they might suck the next year. But – you also kind of know some of the absolute cellar dwellers that are going to be net 362 when the season is over. And you can at least go get a North Texas, an SMU, a Texas State, somebody like that that is at least not quad four. Like even just moving three of your quad four games to quad two, quad three territory makes a difference. But when you're playing nine quad four games, which is what I think you played last year, and Kansas and Baylor are playing six, that might sound like it's not that big of a difference, but it is. And like even just playing Louisiana Tech instead of Northwestern State, you know, making that jump three times in your non-conference slate yep. makes a difference, clearly. So Northwestern State, Texas Southern, Louisiana Tech. I'll, I'll just read the home games. Uh, Georgetown Nichols, Eastern Washington, Jackson State, Houston Christian, South Carolina State. That's leaving Maui out and leaving LSU out. Yeah, and, and I get it. People are like, well, they don't want to come to Lubbock. Like, I'm sure Kentucky doesn't want to come to Lubbock. Like, are you telling me Houston, who plays in the American Athletic, wouldn't, wouldn't come to Lubbock or wouldn't schedule another one of those neutral site games with you in Fort Worth? Because you played them at the Dickies Arena two years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think they went to the Final Four that year. Like, you're telling me a program like that, or even a UTEP, I don't know what their net ranking is, but surely it's better than Northwestern State. Um. I don't know. That's basically my whole gripe is don't play the very bottom of the barrel in all of division one. And you don't have to schedule a bunch of blue bloods. You don't have to schedule four home and homes with power six, but 
Like, let's get something on the non-conference schedule that will help you come resume selection Sunday time. This non-conference philosophy is why you won the Big 12 and were a three seed. It's not new. This isn't a Mark Adams thing. This is a Texas Tech thing that's been going on a while. You were 14-4 and in the Big 12, the best conference in the country, and you were a three seed. Then you went 13 and 3 and 12 and 6 in the Big 12, 3 seed, 3 seed. You are constantly trying to dig out of the hole that you put yourself in with this non-conference. Yeah, and again, with the Big 12 SEC challenge going away, that's just one more Power 6 game that has been on your schedule for the last I don't know, 8, 10 years maybe more that you can't backfill that with some school that nobody's ever heard of that is going to be net 284 when the season is over. So that I'll get off my soapbox, but yeah. it, it's frustrating that fans don't understand the importance and like why it's not good to play a quad three game in Maui. Like you're not going there to play quad three games. You can schedule as many quad three games in Lubbock as you want all year. That's not why you go to Maui or Vegas right. or Madison square garden. It is frustrating to look at a team like Georgetown and just completely, you know, flop the loss or the the win early. It's like, ah, it's just a quad four win or whatever. Um, it's still Georgetown. And it's it's still Patrick Ewing and he might be the best basketball player to ever walk into the USA. Uh and in the moment, right? It's a uh, Phil Forte. It's a fun game, but I, I do. I agree. You, If you look at it in November, it's Georgetown. It's fun. They're in Lubbock. It's a cool atmosphere. But if you look at it at the end of the year, just take out the name on the jersey, just A and B, that game sucked. Rob, I'm going to take you in a time machine to 2009. Or you just woke up in a coma from 2009. Woke up in a coma. Woke up in a coma. <laughs> Sorry, woke up from a coma. Uh, and I tell you that Texas Tech basketball beat Louisville and Georgetown by a combined 45 points. And the whole campus, the whole community is going nuts because we finished five and four in football. And you're like, what? Yeah. But we did beat Louisville and Georgetown by a combined 45 points. And like, who cares? And we finished five and four in football, and it's a big deal because you haven't done it since 2009. So it is cool to play programs like that. I just wish, even if Georgetown isn't Elite Eight Georgetown, they're not Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson Georgetown. I wish they were like net 120 Georgetown. Yeah. Well, and, instead of net 200 Georgetown. Ryan, you might have an opinion on this. Uh, they're not going to be bad. I think they they were bad at the beginning of the year, but they didn't have their two best players. Those guys were back. They played you last night. I I, I think they'll be competitive in the Big East. I I don't know if they'll win a bunch of Big East games, but they can win four, maybe. Yeah, I mean, right now, um, really my favorite college basketball stats website is Bart Torvik, and right now – Torvik has both Georgetown and Louisville projected to end up as Q4 losses or Q4 wins. And so, you know, based on those projections, when you get to the end of the season, Law Tech's going to end up being a better win than Georgetown and Louisville. I mean, imagine hearing that 
in 2009. And this is kind of the issue, as you touched on this earlier, Rob, of looking at it from the offseason of, hey, you know, it, it's Georgetown. It's this fun game. They've been competitive in the past. There's some weird history here with Mac McClung. Like, this is a team that's played around the Big 12 for a while now. Like, there's some bones to this game. And, and what can happen is you can look at games like that you can know that you're going to have a Big 12 SEC challenge on your on your radar. You know you're going to Maui. I mean, those are three games that sound pretty difficult. And what you can do is kind of tell yourself, hey, I'm going to end up getting some quality wins in these in these matchups. We can kind of lay the foot off the gas, um, so to speak, in non-conference. And then you end up walking away with two quad four wins. And, and LSU is not that good either. Um, that's not going to end up being a very high quality win. Whereas, you know, if you were to play in Alabama or a Kentucky, it would be if you were to win. And so, I mean, I get it. I, I'm frustrated about it because I I ultimately think that it hurts your basketball team a little bit. I mean, I'm not a basketball coach, and so I'll leave that to Mark Adams and in his best interest. But I, I think with this team, I think with how young they are, you kind of would have wanted to put them through the ringer a couple of more times. And there's a reality that people don't want to come to Lubbock. Like that's very true. Teams don't want to play in Lubbock, but there's an, there's also in a reality that Texas tech doesn't want to leave Lubbock. Like they're undefeated at home in the Mark Adams era. You think they don't know that you think they don't know how good they are at winning at home. Of course, they're going to try and schedule as many games as possible in the USA. The problem is you, you just can't keep playing these buy games and expect to grow exponentially you know, especially in a stretch like this. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and I'll just read these projections. Uh, Nichols State, 16-point favorites. Eastern Washington, 20-point favorites. Jackson State, 19.5-point favorites. Houston Christian, 27.2-point favorites. South Carolina State, 25.3-point favorites. That's your projections right now. I, I mean, like, you're going to get better just because your team's out on the court. But, I mean, how much stronger does that really make you? I mean, you're going to go in after those games and play a TCU team that's been up and down, but can absolutely put the buzz all on you. And so, I mean, who who's going to come into that game more prepared? I don't know. Uh, out, this out is like... The, sorry, going into the conference play, it's TCU, uh, Kansas, Iowa State, Texas. And you've just listed that you're going to be 20 point, 20 point favorites until then. It's like if you, in football, next season, I think you open with Oregon. It's like doing that and then playing four FCS games and then going right into the heart of Big 12 play. Like that team would not be ready, I, I don't think. So um, I want to toss one more basketball topic out there uh, that involves a little bit of travel. And so before I do that, I want to remind our folks who might be traveling into Lubbock from out of town, they should stay with our friends at StayTrig. You can find them at StayTrig.com. They are your local option for a short-term vacation rental, whether you're in Lubbock on business, coming back for the holidays, coming back for graduation, or one of these marquee non-conference basketball matchups. Why pay last-minute prices for a hotel or motel why roll the dice on trusting Airbnb reviews when you could stay with StayTrig, all of which, all of their properties are furnished and decorated up to a upscale professional standard, and our listeners can get 10% off their first booking 
using the promo code gauchos at staytrig.com. They've got a great website. It's easy to use. Make sure you remember to use the promo code to get that 10% off. And we appreciate their support of the gauchos. So Mainville, a few weeks ago, uh, it was rumored that Brett Yormark was meeting with Gonzaga about potentially joining as a basketball-only member. I think that – well, first off, I tweeted that uh, a couple months ago that that would be a good idea. I think it would be a little bit strange to stop at one school that's all the way out on the West Coast and then stop. And so it got me thinking about some other basketball-only members, uh, especially to help with like the West Virginias of the world. Because there are some blue blood type basketball programs that I think would benefit from being in the Big 12 and the Big 12's brand would benefit from them joining. So I posited that in addition to Gonzaga, you should go after UConn, Villanova, and Creighton. And I think that they'd all be good regional fits, high caliber, high quality programs. I mean, you think this conference is a gauntlet with 10 teams. It, it, it is. But if you had those four and then like maybe the – the Pac-12 schools that might be coming over with conference realignment um, to help with Gonzaga's travel, I think it would just be absolutely insane. Um, do you think that's feasible in terms of travel logistics? Do you do you have different teams in mind? Do you want to see basketball expansion? What's your just overall thoughts on that topic? Yeah, I like the idea of getting a Gonzaga involved. I mean, I know there's a lot of mixed opinions on, on the Zags, but I think the Stone Cold facts are the is that they're a good program they, they've consistently been at the top of college basketball for the last couple of years. And so that gives you a caliber of an opponent that is difficult to replicate, even in a conference that's as loaded as the big 12, I think to go full throttle and to get a team like UConn or even Villanova would be difficult. But I think a team like Creighton, like even just watching them play two big 12 opponents this year and they handled business, like they belong. They fit in. They can, they can play in this conference. Um, I, I think that's a team that really intrigues me, especially given kind of the lack of a basketball attachment. Obviously, UConn, you know, kind of turn it around with their football team. So so who knows what happens there and how much they tried to get, um, you know, situated in a conference. But I think a team like Creighton, where, where basketball is the mainstay, that that's a program that really intrigues me. Um, although it is scary because, I mean, they just beat you. And they hung around with a pretty good Texas team. Yeah. And, I mean, if it is a challenge to get a Villanova or a UConn in the fold, I think I think Xavier would be a good fit. I didn't know this, but apparently they have, like, a really fierce basketball rivalry with Cincinnati and another good regional fit in the new Big 12. You could maybe go Marquette. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm trying to think of it in terms of, like, pairs or, or an even number. Um, it would just be a little bit strange for me to add only Gonzaga. So anyway, I, I kind of hope that it happens. It would be exciting and be tons of TV inventory. And I think basketball is really trending up in terms of its value to the networks. And so if obviously the big 12 is going to be behind the big 10 and sec payouts, but if you can sort of position yourself and brand yourself as the premier basketball conference, and that's a stock that is going to go up in the next decade, I think that could be a way that you kind of, zig while everybody else zags no pun intended and maybe make up some of that revenue gap rob shaking his head i really thought of that on the fly just now but i think i think you have to be creative you have to be different um you're never gonna you're never gonna close the gap entirely but i think you would even struggle to make progress closing the gap if you're just 
emulating the exact same stuff the SEC and Big Ten are doing, and you're just doing it to fewer eyeballs. So I'm I'm for, and I think your mark has demonstrated that he's for kind of these creative ideas, off the wall stuff. Like let's see what works, let's see what brings in extra revenue. Uh, you know, we don't have to do it, but um, let's maybe explore some stuff that's outside the traditional college sports model. And so I'm glad that the conversation is even taking place. Like even if it doesn't come to fruition, I think it's a good sign that your mark is exploring those avenues. So I guess we'll see what happens with it. That's exactly what I was about to say. We wouldn't even be having these conversations a couple of years ago. And, and so regardless of how it ends up, I, I think it's an exciting thing to even be having these conversations and there be at least some possibility that, that the Big 12 will move in this direction in the future. And so that excites me. Well, poor UCF. They're already um, kind of being sent to the slaughterhouse here. If they, if they join and then Gonzaga... Villanova, UConn, Creighton, Xavier, whoever joins. It's like you might as well just pull an Iowa State baseball and say, like, you know what, we're going to be a football-only school and, like, not even have a basketball team because that's a lot of travel for them. They're not going to be competitive at it, at least not anytime soon. It's like like who, would, what coach would want to take that job? What player would commit there versus, you know, any other options in the state of Florida? Or I, I don't know. That just seems like a really tough deal for UCF. If that if it happens that way, yeah, hate to see it. Uh, diversified lenders mailbag. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my uh, my bitching and moaning about the bowl selection process until it's reality. Because right now I'm just angry at like what could potentially happen there. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to get into it now or if we can just wait till Sunday and then I'll gripe about it then. Let's wait till Sunday and we are planning. Uh, Ryan, you're free to join us. Uh, spaces. Gaucho's After Dark post-selection show Sunday. So we will live react to Selection Sunday, Sunday night. Uh, Sunday the 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's it. the 4th. Yeah, December 4th. Uh, I'll, I'll be gone the 11th uh, at the Texans game in Dallas. Cool. Cowboys. I was like, who are they playing? Why are you going to watch the Texans? Cowboys game. Uh, all right. What uniforms do we aspire to wear in the bowl game? Do you guys have any – do you want to go throwback in the bowl game? Does it matter who you're playing? Yes. If it's Arkansas in the Texas Bowl, throwbacks. Yes. Southwest you go Conference You go. Zach, you go. Zach Thomas throwbacks if it's Arkansas in the Texas Bowl. Yeah. If it's Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl, you go Billy Joe Tolliver throwbacks. Um, didn't they injure Billy Joe Tolliver back in the day? Uh, in a non-conference maybe. matchup in 86 or maybe something like that? Do you have so, any preference, that, that's Ryan? my thoughts on it. Anything with a leveled bevel? Hell yeah. Uh, can you help us how to figure out how to spend our time helping the football team until Sunday? I have no idea who I need to be focusing on. Thanks. <laughs> I think you just focus on the Red Raiders this week. Uh, focus on getting better and being prepared to handle your business. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a bye week. We're, we're focused on ourselves. We're not worried about bowl possibilities. We just got to gotta improve ourselves this week. One note on this. Uh-huh. This is a fun experiment that I'm watching before the bowl game because the last time that Texas Tech had a bye game this season – the quarterback packages were not working the way they are right now. 
And and so with all this extra preparation time, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with those packages in the bowl game. I think we could see some really funky stuff. Yes, Kyle. Uh, I was just going to say on a broader note, how different is bowl prep now? Like you, you end the season on Thanksgiving and you play the bowl game Christmas. Five years ago, you just bowl prepped. Now you've got dudes entering the portal, dudes going to the NFL early. You've got signing day in between. And it's just like it used to be like, yeah, okay, we get a whole month of extra practice and like you could actually focus on the program. Now it's like you've got yeah. a million things going on. It, it must be hard for a head coach to manage. Dead period's over too. I mean, Maguire's doing a ton of visits over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and so it, it's definitely definitely not a couple of weeks off. I mean, the, the staff is busy both preparing on the field and off. Uh, curveball. Somebody entered the Gaucho's DMs with a question. Um, percentage each of these guys return. M- Morton, Smith, Shuck. This is tough because... It, it doesn't have to be a full 100 there, Kyle, because it's individual percentages. Right. Yeah, all three could leave or all three could stay. Um this is what we call dependent variables. So I like I imagine it impacts Donovan Smith's decision if Baron Morton leaves and vice versa. Um, okay, so percent chance that they're back. I, I'm still I don't maybe I'm overthinking Shuck's post game comments, but now I'm like twenty five percent chance that he comes back. I, I'm out um, there. Because he's got multiple reasons to leave. He could go pro. He could go pro in something other than sports, or he could go to another school. Um, Donovan and Morton, I imagine, aren't going to retire. And I'm not saying Chuck will either. It's just like a possibility. Um, Donovan, I thought like 20% chance he would come back before the OU game. And then I saw him maybe turn into college football's version of Taysom Hill, and I'm like, can they sell him on that? Does he want that? I hope they are. So I'll I'll bump that up to say thirty five percent chance that he stays. So twenty percent Chuck, thirty five percent Donovan, and I think there's about a seventy five percent chance that Baron Morton stays and, and feels good about him as feels good about himself as a quarterback of the future, and that he doesn't need to go elsewhere to get playing time. I'd go eighty percent on Morton, but I think the mm-hmm. big dependable is is Chuck. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be Chuck or Morton. As a starter. Um, and week one, it was obviously they thought Shuck was the guy. Week uh, seven, they obviously thought Morton was the guy. So, I don't know. Um, I, I have a follow-up uh, kind of prop bet or just like would you rather after Mainville gives his thoughts on this. Okay. Do you have some percentages there? I'll go Morton 85 because I think he, he, I mean, he's got to have the keys. Because I think he he's shown that he can play college football, and and so if you want to risk asking him to come off the bench and potentially lose a, a really good arm, uh, that's not a scenario that I can see Texas Tech wanting to get into. And so I think that's pretty high. And so with that, I think it's probably Shuck somewhere around fifteen or twenty, and then I really have no idea. Um, where Donovan Smith is, I think it really all comes down to the question of, does he think he can play starting quarterback in college football? And, and most guys, you know, who play quarterback do think that. And so if that's what he wants, then he's going to go find that role. 
But if I if I'm gonna read between the lines a little bit here, he was having fun in that OU game. I mean, catching those touchdowns, running it in, he, you know, he was doing the Cam Newton jersey pool thing. He was having fun. And so I'm I'm just intrigued, man. I mean, nobody really knows except for him what he's thinking right now. But man, he he would just be a really good piece to keep around and use as you wish. He he would be incredibly important. Um I'm gonna like I do, go off the boundaries and then come back and make a point. All right. There was a Missouri wide receiver who who announced his intention to enter the transfer portal, got an NIL deal with a chip company that was apparently intriguing enough for him to come back to Missouri. And the announcement was a physical chip on his shoulder. <laughs> Is there some kind of Swiss Army Knife Company in Lubbock that could give a, a sum of money to Donovan Smith to be what what kind of NIL deal can we get to accentuate his versatility? Like like it would have to progressive it would really insurance. be any company yeah. that's like a multi-service, like you know we do roofing and construction. And windows, carpet tech, like you know, yeah, we do it all, yeah, carpet tech, yeah, and like they, they could put Donovan in the ad, like installing carpet and then doing like bug treatments, and you know, oh, then your roofing. house flooded, we do that too, yeah, okay, just carpet. like Donovan Smith, we do it all, all right, carpet tech, Jay Ferg, get on the phone, uh, that's free with uh, with with Donovan Smith and keep him in Lubbock. That's we we are I, advertisers, man, and, and he might also have to make the decision, like. I think it would be really tough for a power five program pursuing Donovan in the portal theoretically to tell him like, yeah, you can come be the starter at Arizona state, NC state, a program like that. Like, I, I don't think a program like that is going to guarantee him the starting role. Right. Does he, does he want to go group of five and do what Gary Bohannon did at South Florida? Does he want to go do that at law tech or North Texas, or does he want to stay here and like, Tote the rock 75 times, score a lot of touchdowns in the red zone, catch a couple touchdown passes, be the full-time backup quarterback and also kind of like a uh, wildcat quarterback. Maybe they script some drives for him. Be a vulture I hope in the they red can zone. sell him on that. Yeah. I mean, he'll, like, he'll, hey, he'll have 10 rushing touchdowns and a couple of catches and, and yeah. be very productive. He would be very productive. And even I was like not – I was kind of – agnostic on or indifferent on if he came back or not because they hadn't used him that way until the OU game. And I was like, well, if y'all are going to do something other than just put him out there to stand there at receiver, uh, like they have been doing when they went multi-quarterback, then like now we're cooking with gas and now you need a guy with his skill set to execute some of that. Um, the follow-up, would you rather I have for y'all, would you rather have Shuck and Donovan come back, but Morton leaves or Morton comes back alone and the other two are guaranteed to leave? Which scenario second, would you prefer? I, I prefer the second one, and I think it's more likely. Why? I just think he's got the keys. I, I don't think that you want to lose him. I, I really don't. I mean, you, you've got a good, a good, strong recruiting or a recruit and a quarterback in Jake Strong coming in, but I mean, to have a guy that has slung it the way that Morton has 
and for him to still be at the age that he's at and has played as little football as he has, I think that he's shown some really good stuff. And so that's just me. I, I'm taking that gamble. I'm, I'm taking my young guy. Um, I, I, I don't I feel agree. great about it. I agree with all of that, but then my mind goes to, okay, what if he Murray States himself and in the first quarter, like we're all in on Barron and he's the dude and he's got Patrick Mahomes arm talent and then like he breaks his collarbone and we've got, okay, hey, rookie, you're up, you know, true freshman Jake Strong, get in there and go win us some big 12 games. Um, I would not want to see that. Well, and he wouldn't be your backup. You think we'll get some Juco transfer? Uh, Oh, you think with the history of Texas Tech – since 2017, multiple quarterbacks have started every single year. That some Joe what are you about Schmo to tell me there, on, Rob? That some Joe Schmo out there that just started six games at Indiana uh, isn't nope. going to come and try to be the backup here? Nope. Was that Kitley? Nope. Oh, you're going to get a Power 5 transfer at quarterback. You had Cliff Kingsbury, and the best you got was McLean Carter to come back up Nick Shimanek. Not a shot at McLean Carter, Cliff, but – Well, first of all, that was from high school. Cliff Kingsbury was no, a garbage he was Juco. He was Juco. Oh, that's right. Trinity Christian Valley or whatever. Uh, look, <laughs> do you think this staff can't sell somebody better? I think they could, but I don't think guys in the portal coming from other Power 5 universities are coming to be the backup here. You'll, you'll have some hothead that thinks he can come start over Bear Morton. There will be a Power 5 quarterback here if both of your guys leave. Then you're not having honor, honest conversations with that kid. If, some, if, if a guy who started six games in Indiana this year – Comes in, you're like, yeah, Amy, you're going to challenge Baron Morton for the starting quarterback spot. You're straight up lying to him. It's a, that's recruiting, Kyle. Welcome to college uh, football. No. Welcome to big you'll, time college football. You'll, you'll get Jackson Tyner or McLean Carter. Nobody's signing up to come be a backup here. You'll get a Rice or a Juco transfer. And I know because it's happened before, multiple off seasons. I think you'll, or, I think you'll, Henry Henry well, okay, at the very least, you'll identify a better one than the previous staffs have. How about that? We'll, we'll see. But the other scenario, I'm not trying to persuade anybody. You have Tyler Shuck next year. You have Donovan Smith doing Taysom Hill things. I think Shuck has two years of eligibility. Let's say he only has one or he only uses one. Donovan slides in as like a fourth, fifth-year player by then. And then after he leaves, you've got Jake Strong in year three or whoever's coming behind him in year two. So you've got like a lot better continuity, seniority versus – I'm all in on Baron Morton's talent, but again, if he like tears his ACL versus Oregon, hey, quit, you have quit nobody behind him. Why, why I'm are you not trying to get him? You're you're Jake City here. Oh, what if he breaks his collarbone? What if he breaks his ACL? Let's just stop. Quit Jake. No curse. But like our starting quarterback, the last two years broke his collarbone in the first half of the season. It was the same guy, and he has a plate now. It's not going to happen again. <laughs> Can he transfer the plate to all of Baron Morton's joints? Yeah, get some preventative plates. Yeah, in the collarbone. Oh, I don't know. I'm just um, saying it's an, it's an interesting hypothetical. To oh, entertain. it is. It is, and I I am going to be very honest. If it's the two of them versus one of them, I would I would be fifty fifty. Even if the one was Morton, and you know me, I'm I'm a Morton guy. I've been a Morton guy since day one. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. You tried to play that. You played both sides of the fence on that. I, I asked you to pull the tape. You're like, oh, I said I, I was for one of the young guys starting. And now you're like, oh, I was all in on Morton the whole time. Kyle. But the tape says Morton or Donovan. We, 
I think an interesting up. note, one one note on this, is the rest of the roster composition is actually really interesting to me with this because I think Shuck and Smith give you a higher floor, but I think Morton gives you a higher ceiling for how good mm-hmm. your team can be. And so let's say Texas Tech, man, they hit the portal hard. They've got some good defensive recruits coming in. You've got young guys that have been really good. If your defense is going to be really solid and you've got a nice supporting cast on offense – I think Shuck Smith is a little bit more um, interesting to me. But if you're going to be bad, like just let Morton play through it. Like I, I don't really care. Let him learn. Let him get better. Not going to be yeah. bad. And when Theo Weiss gets here and Xavier Worthy. That's right. I'll, I'll recruit him. Yeah. Uh, who's going to be the leader for men's basketball going into Big 12 play? We, we kind of said Harmon earlier. Is that who you guys would pick? Is that who it yeah. needs to be? It's who I hope I think it is, and I think he's got the best shot right now. No pun intended. Start bench cut, George Strait, Dire Straits, Strait of Gibraltar. <laughs> you are mine. Yeah, I need, I need some Dire Strait samples. I, I don't... I don't have anything coming to mind immediately. TV. I think that's Dire Straits. In that order for me. In the uh, the George Strait order? I would probably go yeah. that way too. I'll, I'll say George, uh, start George Strait, <laughs> bench the Strait of Gibraltar, <laughs> and cut Dire Straits. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Let's see. Now they're just making fun of me. Boom, boom, boom. Start if your company is in dire straits, call Diversified Lenders. <laughs> what does Diversified Lenders do? Uh, they, It's kind of magic or something, but they Dude. turn your accounts receivable into there cash. Go. There you go. Uh, Diversifiedlenders.com if you want to try and figure it out. It's not magic. It's legitimate. Hey, they're not oh, cooking books. Say it was legitimate. I just... <laughs> well, it just gave the connotation there. Uh, you just poof, uh, cash comes. Um, Startman's cut tailgates, LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee. I would say – I've not experienced any of those, but I think the Grove is very highly thought of. So I'll start Ole Miss. Honestly, might fear for my life a little too much at Baton Rouge, so I'll cut that. And then I bet Knoxville will be pretty cool. So I'll, I'll bench Knoxville, start the Grove, and cut Baton Rouge. Start Baton Rouge, especially if it's a night game. Bench Ole Miss, cut Tennessee. It's intense. We're going to get striked on that one. Uh, Do you want to make some picks? We can predict the bowl game and matchup and then maybe do some conference championship picks real quick, real fast. Yes? Sure. All right. Bowl, uh, Bowl predictions. Kyle? What is what is Texas Tech doing in the bowl? Do you want to go first? Uh, like, which one will we play in? Which one and who? Uh, definitely the Alamo Bowl uh, versus Texas. <laughs> um, no, I think I was really thinking cheese it for a long time, and then Chris Level with locked on kind of rained on my parade, and I guess now I'm I'll I'll trust him and say probably Texas Bowl versus. Arkansas would make sense. Um, yeah, 
I guess I'll do that. Money? What I want to happen is Alamo. After knowing that Cheese it isn't going to happen, I want Alamo versus UCLA. I think I think that's the game I want right now. That'd be fun. I talked to what is it? That's dire, dire Straits. Money for nothing. What genre of music is that? Well, it gets into it's a really long open. Uh, I'm legitimately asking, like, what kind of band was that? What era were they in? Like, I'm not. Uh, 80s, I'm drawing a blank. Eighties rock. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Weird right, Al. I can vibe to that. Weird Al did a great "Money for Nothing" um, cover for UHF. Big UHF guy. I talked to the bowl guy today. He did not make me feel good at all. Um, Oklahoma is going to the Cheez It Bowl. Texas is going to the the Stupid. whatever bowl. The big and I asked him straight up. I said, "Can your mark?" like SEC this thing and kind of get into it. And he said, well, I talked to your Mark and he just wants to learn the process this year. So you're not going to get any help. What the hell was the point of the regular season? You're not going to get any help from anybody. uh, I think maybe in the future. uh, But I I, I would say if your Mark could do anything, it would be, Hey, Oklahoma sucked to end the year and they shouldn't be rewarded over Texas tech who is staying in the conference. And beat them head to head, and finished two games ahead in the conference standings. Yes, um, and there is some leeway. I think he said in the language that you can't jump two spots, but if the Cheese Bowl wants Oklahoma, they're tied for seventh through ninth in the conference. It's like it, that is it would be more brutal. than two spots. It would be brutal. It would. I a, a little bit of a tangent, but not really. I'm so sick of just the logos dictating everything. I had a friend who's a Texas fan DM me today, and he, was, he like wanted me to shed a tear for their linebacker who didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. And I was like, dude, y'all have had a quarter century of this conference kissing your ass at every possible turn to the tune of probably hundreds of millions of dollars when you count Longhorn Network. Hey, we're going to play on Thanksgiving at home every, every year. We'll decide who we play. We'll let you know when we decide. And the conference is saying, yes, sir, thank you, sir, please, sir, may I have another? And he's like, well, I just I just feel bad for the kids. He was a three-star coming in. He worked his way up. I'm like, cry me a river, dude. The Puff, y'all are about to leap us. Not them, but OU, same thing. Y'all are leaving the conference. Y'all screwed us over, didn't care. You're about to leap us for what would have been our best bowl bid since probably the 2013 Holiday Bowl for no reason other than the logo on the side of your helmet. Like, I don't want to hear that this pettiness as y'all depart, which is – so minor in the in the grand scheme of things outweighs somehow all the ways y'all have benefited for the last 25 years with this conference pandering to your every want and need like just completely miss me with that yeah Crime i think one. the thing that's really funny to me about this is like how whenever a guy wins an award if if you go in the comments it's all like screenshots of the espn like overview profile of their stats and really I mean, it's all based, the Texas outrage is based on total tackles. And if you want to talk football stats, it's a pretty irrelevant stat. I'm just going to say, it's like giving the college basketball player of the year to a guy that had more rebounds than somebody else. 
I mean, give it to the guy that disrupted the game the most. His sack numbers, his tackle for loss numbers, they aren't good. He had a couple of big plays. But, I mean, compare his sack and tackle for loss numbers against Tyree Wilson. I was about to say, just, who disrupted the game the most? Tyree well, and like a joke. The, the officiating conspiracy theories. That's like, false, by the way. I know it is. And I'm like, you guys have gotten the calls for the last 25 years. And now one year you perceive that you're getting worse calls. And like you can't beat programs that are operating on a third of the budget that your athletics department has because of a couple holding calls. Are you kidding me? The other thing is just how casual their fans are. Earlier in the year, this guy was like, did anybody even know what Farmageddon was until this week? Like, well, I did because I pay attention to other goings on in the conference. He goes, I've never even heard of Felix and DK Uzama. I'm like, that's because you're an idiot. Like, if you know football at all, he was preseason first team all Big 12, was he not? Yes. Probably probably preseason Big 12 player of the year. Like, it's like saying, well, who's Spencer Sanders? I've never heard of that guy before. I mean, they're just so, their heads are so far up their collective asses about what everyone's Super Bowl. Like, they actually have convinced themselves that that's true. They can't fathom that another Big 12 team cares about another school in the conference. And so they nickname it Farmageddon. They're like, oh, we just, we legitimately thought we were every school's primary rival. And we're the only, we are the only school that has a roster filled with players capable of being offensive or defensive player of the year. And then reaching out to me, asking me to cry about it with him, I was like, no. I'm just not going to do that. I, I do not. I cannot muster up an ounce of sympathy for you guys in any respect, especially knowing that OU is about to jump you for the cheese it bowl bits. Like I, I, I'm sorry. I do not care. Cry me a river. But as a closet Texas fan, it must burn you up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is the ultimate Rob skating. Nothing. Sorry, former not a te- single word former, of that sorry, was for, true. Sorry, former Texas fan. No championship picks championship picks. Let's get these out of the way. Uh, We'll go rapid fire. We'll start with Ryan hit Kyle and then I'll give mine Uh, Utah USC Pac-12 championship Utah plus two and a half over under 67. USC covers uh, under I've not watched enough of these teams over the last couple of weeks. I'll go under. Why not? I like Kyle Whittingham in this spot. And I like USC to choke in this spot and get punished for playing on conference championship weekend. So give me the Utes plus two and a half. It's really hard to win against a team twice in a season. I'll take USC. People say that. I'll take USC. Uh, Kansas State TCU, two and a half again, total 62. TCU money line. <laughs> um, over. Minus 140 value there. I, uh, I don't know. I'd actually go under. I'd go under. I feel like Jesse Pinkman with TCU winning all these ball games because I, I don't think they're frauds. I think they're good. But they've also won a lot of one-possession games against their opponent's backup quarterbacks. So it's like, I want to scream. They can't keep getting away with this. Did y'all not? I guess y'all didn't get that at first. No. Y'all both looked at me like, "What are you talking about, I Jesse?" Pink? I just wait. Was waiting for you to close that one out. Can't keep getting away with it. Um. So I want to. I want to think that the cats have something for them, and that they'll. I don't know if they'll knock them out of the playoff, but it'd be kind of cool if they denied them a Big Twelve championship. But also, it's just like TCU seems invincible, 
um, kind of like Baker Mayfield did for a long stretch at OU, and then they ultimately did lose to Georgia in overtime. But there was a there was a time where I was like, he's he's not going to lose a, a college football game. Um, so I, I guess that's a long way of me saying frogs. I'll take Kansas State, and I I I tr- I would trend to the over. It's really hard to beat a team twice in a year. Uh, Georgia LSU minus seventeen and a half. Total 52. LSU covers. That's steep. Very steep. Um, yeah, LSU covers. And then I'll go under, I guess. I don't feel great about that, but it's the SEC. Can't play offense. Yes, 17 and a half is steep. Just like on principle of any – Anybody who wins their division plus 17 and a half versus anyone else it seems like a good bet. I'll take Georgia. Uh, UCF Tulane, Power Six, uh, future Big 12 team, 22-18. Uh, UCF plus four. The game opened at two and a half. Is this a new coach bump spot for Tulane? Willie Fritz uh, moving on. Or, uh, yeah, wait, where's he going? Well, did they hire him? It was, no, it was he got passed Georgia. over for Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is he still there? I guess so. Flirting with another job, giving four, no way. UCF plus four. Okay. UCF to cover. Hey, can I make a quick note to any fans listening to this? Sure. We've got to haze the new members coming in just a little bit. And UCF hates being called Central Florida, and they hate being called the Golden Knights. So anytime you're referencing that school, you should call them the Central Florida Golden Knights for like at least their first year here, and then we can ease up. But that'll grind their gears. I'll take Tulane. Uh, Purdue, Michigan. Purdue plus 17, Michigan minus 17. Obviously, that's how it works, you stupid idiot. Uh, total 52. I don't understand how this game is – is closer than the than the SEC championship. Honestly, I'll go Michigan to cover um, with the under. I guess, even though they don't got Corum, I, I think they'll still win. Yeah, it's hard to um, complete any serious business when a Corum is not present. So, give me Purdue, not Perdon't. Give me Purdue plus seventeen. Jeff Brom is three and zero. Against top three teams in his career at Purdue. Purdue money line. Michigan's do. Splash that. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, th- I think Purdue is tough. Uh, Michigan kind of in a sandwich spot. They just played the game. They're looking forward to the playoff. It's Purdue. They don't um, care. They're in no matter what, right? Yeah. So I think it'll – I think I – don't, I don't think it'll be a blowout. It's Purdue's Super Bowl. Final one, Clemson, North Carolina. Seven and a half. And I'll go first. Give me Mac Brown plus seven and a half. Total sixty three. UNC to cover with the over. Yeah, uh, more like Clems out. Give me Tar Heels <laughs> plus seven and a half. Final thoughts. Return of the Mac. No, no final thoughts. What? Final thoughts. Um, no, not really. Schedule better non-con in basketball. Um. Love doing this podcast with y'all. And y'all put up with my bad puns and jokes. And uh, 
That's all I got. All right. See you guys. Love y'all. Is it more dire straits? No, it's the uh, the Starlight, the Starland vocal band. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. My mama's always been when it's right, it's right. Why 